Chapter 24 The Life and Adventures of James P. Beckworth Mountaineer, Scout, and Pioneer, and Chief of the Crow Nation of Indians Written from his own dictation by T.D. Bonner This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. When the rejoicings were over, a council was called to deliberate on the future operations of the nation, wherein the resolution was taken to keep united until Lee fall. About the latter end of August, I started for the fort, taking with me three hundred and fifty warriors, with as many women and children, among whom was my little wife. While on our way thither, we encamped one night on Fallen Creek, and lost upward of fifty horses stolen by the Cheyennes. We pursued them with our whole force, and soon overtaking them, a fight ensued between numbers about equal. I had charged in advance of the line, and as I was always dressed in full costume when on these excursions, I offered an excellent mark to anyone skilled in shooting. I was proceeding in an easy canter when my horse was shot through the head, the ball entering near the ear, and he fell, his last spring hurling me head foremost against a huge rock, which I struck with such force that I saw another dense meteoric shower, and the blood gushed from my mouth, nose, and ears. When I recovered my senses, I found both parties over me, each struggling to obtain me. The crows prevailed eventually, and my scalp was saved. My warriors were fully convinced of my death, as I lay so long motionless. But they were determined to preserve my scalp. The enemy, seeing our women and children approach, mistook them for a reinforcement of Crow warriors, and they gave up the contest and fled precipitately, leaving us masters of the field, with all the horses they had just stolen from us besides a great number of their own, which they had not time to drive off. We only obtained three scalps from the enemy, losing none ourselves, though we had several warriors wounded. We then resumed our journey to the fort, reaching there without farther trouble. When we arrived within sight and hearing, we, as usual, struck up a song. All the women from the fort ran out, exclaiming, Here comes a war party of the crows. They are singing. Look at their scalps. They come from the country of the Cheyennes. They have conquered our enemies. See, they are all painted. I had long been supposed dead at the fort. It was conjectured that Big Bull, my father, had the conduct of the party and there was no inquiry made for me. We entered amid a thousand hadiadus, and my wife and little Jim were comfortably provided with the best quarters in the fort. 
I was standing among the busy throng, who had already fallen to admire the new goods. Still feeling the effects of my severe shake, when I saw one of the female inmates eye me very inquiringly. She inquired of my wife who that Indian was. She answered, He is my husband. What? Are you married again? The woman exclaimed in astonishment. No, not again, she replied in her very modest manner. Did you not know that the medicine calf was alive and had returned? Then that surely is the medicine calf? The woman exclaimed, now standing in the fort, and ran to Mr. Tulloch to acquaint him of the news. Where is he? Where is the medicine calf? Mr. Tulloch called aloud and looking among the throng without perceiving me. I addressed him in English, calling him by name. I thought at first that he would fall to the ground. It was some seconds before he could speak. His astonishment was so overwhelming. At last he found tongue and broke out in all kinds of expressions of joy and welcome. The men, too, attached to the fort, on hearing of my arrival, came running in with their utmost speed to welcome one whom they had all long since supposed dead. So heartfelt a welcome I could not have expected. Little Jim had been taken from his mother's hand before it was known that I was present. He was a general pet at the fort, and it usually took one good horse to carry all the presents bestowed upon mother and child. He was then near three years old, running everywhere, and was already looked upon by the crows as their future chief. We tarried at the fort a few days engaged in hunting buffalo for its men and our own family. Our consumption was several carcasses a day. During my long absence, the crows had neglected their traps, and they had not dressed more than half the usual number of robes, which caused a sensible falling off in the trade of the fort, and diminished very materially the profits derived by the company from Fort Cass. No reduction, however, was made in my salary on account of my absence, which I considered very liberal conduct on the part of the company. My warriors, becoming uneasy at their inactive life, desired to be led against the Blackfeet. To gratify them, I selected 106 warriors and sent the others back to the village with the women and children, except my wife, whom I requested to stay at the fort to await my return. We marched into the enemy's country, and in the daytime came suddenly upon one of their villages. There were lodges enough to contain three hundred warriors, but they were probably gone upon an expedition, for there were but few present to receive us. We unhesitatingly assaulted it, although we had but little fighting to do. We took upward of twenty scalps and eighteen women and children prisoners. We captured two hundred and sixty horses, besides weapons, clothing, and other spoils. 
Here, I succeeded in having a good joke at the heroine's expense, with which I plagued her for a long time. She was swifter on foot than any warrior, and we were on foot during this excursion. On seeing us advance, a young Indian, about sixteen, took to his heels, running like a deer. The heroine made after him with her antelope speed, certain to catch him. The Indian did his best, frequently turning his head like a negro with an alligator at his heels. Seeing that his pursuer must overtake him, and not relishing the idea of having her lance transfix his body, for she was preparing to hurl it, he suddenly stopped and faced about, at the same time throwing his bow down and holding up both hands to beg for his life. She did what no other warrior in our party would have done. Her woman's heart took pity on the poor fellow's pitiable condition. She spared his life and marched him back captive. He, being her prisoner, no one had authority over his life but herself. He was a fine-looking young man, but when he was brought among the Crow warriors, he trembled in every joint, expecting nothing less than to be killed. I thought this too good an opportunity for a joke not to make use of it. I see, said I, addressing myself to Pineleaf. You have refused all our braves that you might win a husband from the enemy. All the warriors shouted at the sally, but the poor girl was sorely perplexed and knew not what to do or say. We rallied her so much on her conquest that she finally became quite spunky, and I did not know whether she would run her prize through with her lance or not. One day I told her I had talked with her prisoner about his capture. Well, said she, and what has he to say about it? Why, I answered, he says he could have killed you as well as not, but that you promised to marry him if he would spare your life. She was fully practiced upon, and she flushed with anger. He lies, she exclaimed. You know I cannot speak to these black feet or I would make him tell a different tale. I have often told you, as well as other warriors, that I do not wish to marry. My tongue was straight when I said so. I have told you often, and I have told your sisters and your wives, that if ever I did marry, I would have you and none other. So why do you trifle with my feelings? What she said was a genuine ebullition of feeling, for, although an Indian girl, her heart was as proud, as sensitive, and as delicate as ever beat in the breast of a civilized woman. To soothe her ruffled temper, I told her I would entrust a secret to her. I had undertaken my prolonged journeying, when all supposed me dead, and she along with the rest, solely to search through the Rocky Mountains for a red-headed Indian. I had been unsuccessful in my search and had returned with spotted horses. 
she laughed immoderately at my invention. We now returned to the fort with our trophies, where we had a joyous time. My warriors gave a horse to each man at the fort, about fifty in number, and every woman staying there also received one. I selected the best one I had and made little Jim present to Mr. Tulick, with which delicate attention he was greatly delighted. My boy could now speak quite plain. The men at the fort had taught him to swear quite fluently both in French and English, much more to their satisfaction than to mine. But I trusted he would soon forget his schoolings, as the crows never drink whiskey nor use profane language. We left the fort and reached our village without accident. On our arrival, we found the people in mourning for the loss of two warriors, killed in the village by an attack of the Cheyennes. And notwithstanding my recent success, we had to take part in the crying in obedience to their forms. The Cheyennes, in their late attack, used very good generalship, but the result was not so good as their design would seem to promise. They started with a force of 3,000 warriors, and dividing their army, 500 marched directly over the Tongue River Mountain, where they were safe from molestation, while their main body passed round in another direction, placing themselves in ambush in a place agreed upon, so as to fall upon the crows should they pursue their flying division. But the crows were too wary for them and their bright design failed. The division of five hundred made a descent upon the horses, killing the two crows that were among them, and unable to escape in time. It was an open day, and our stock was so immense that they actually did succeed in driving off about twelve hundred, of which our family owned about eighty. Many of our choice mares, with their fowls and a great number of our war horses, seemed to have intelligence of the business in hand, and ran with full speed to the village, where the enemy did not care to follow them. Hundreds of our warriors were ready for the conflict, and were impatiently awaiting the order to attack. But their chiefs strictly forbade their advance, and even charged my faithful dog-soldiers with the duty of enforcing their orders. There were in the village over 4,000 warriors, a force sufficient to repel any attack. But the old heads seemed to suspect something at the bottom of their foe's audacity, and thus escaped the trap that was prepared for them. The horses we cared but little about, as it was easy to replace them at any time without risking the lives of so many brave warriors. On my return, all this was related to me by the council. They inquired my opinion of the policy they had acted upon, and I assented to the wisdom of all they had done. I further recommended that no war party should leave the village for at least two weeks 
but that all should devote themselves to trapping beaver as a means better calculated to please the great spirit and after that it was likely he would reward our excursions with more constant success my advice was approved of and my medicine was pronounced powerful every trap in the village was accordingly brought to light and a general preparation made for an active season of trapping peltry parties scattered for every stream containing beaver my old friend and myself with each a wife composed one party we took twelve traps and in ten days collected fifty-five beaver skins all who went out had excellent success as the streams had been but little disturbed for several months our two weeks combined industry produced quite a number of packs it was now about the first of october i had promised after our two weeks trapping to lead a party in a foray upon the cheyennes i selected over four hundred warriors and started in pursuit of something whether horses or scalps was a matter of indifference after an easy travel of twenty days our spies keeping a vigilant lookout on the way a large village was reported some few miles in advance knowing whom we had to deal with i used my utmost caution for we were beyond the reach of reinforcements if i should fall into any difficulties we ascended a hill which overlooked their village we saw their cheerful looking fires and would have liked to warm ourselves by similar ones but although firewood was abundant it seemed barely advisable to indulge in such a luxury by the size of the village it was evident we had a powerful enemy before us and that he was brave we had learned by previous experience after surveying it as well as we could by the gleam of the stars i determined to go down into their village and obtained a closer observation i took three braves with me and turning our robes the hair side out we descended the hill and entered the village we found they had recently built a new medicine lodge and the national council was in session that night we walked up to the lodge where there were a number of cheyennes smoking and conversing but we could not understand a word they said i passed my hand inside to reach for a pipe one was handed to me and after all four of us had taken a few whiffs i handed it back to my accommodating lender we then strolled leisurely through their town and returned to our own camp somewhat late in the evening about midnight we visited their herd and started out quite a large drove which we found at daylight consisted of eight hundred head with these we moved with all possible speed toward home taking the directest route possible we drove at full speed wherever practicable 
until the next day at noon. We then turned short round the point of a mountain and awaited the arrival of our pursuers. Our animals were well rested when the enemy came up, and we had just transferred ourselves to the backs of some that we had borrowed from them. As soon as they had rounded the point, about 250 in number, we issued out to attack them, and although they were somewhat surprised to behold so large a force, they quickly formed and awaited the onset. We were soon upon them, killing several and having a few of our own wounded. We withdrew to form another charge, but before we were ready to fall on them again, they divided their line, and one half made a daring attempt to surround our horses, but we defeated their aim. They then retreated toward their village, they finding it necessary to reinforce their numbers before they could either recover their animals or fight our party with any show of success. I afterward learned, when a trader in the Cheyenne Nation for Sublet, that their main body, consisting of 2,000 warriors, had started with them, but turned back when within four miles of our temporary resting place. The smaller division traveled back as fast as possible in the endeavor to reach them and bring them back to the attack. After proceeding two or three hours in their trail, they suddenly came in sight of them as they were resting to dress some buffalo. By means of couriers and signals, they soon had the whole army on the march again. But by this time, we were over the hills and far away. Having resumed our retreat, immediately our pursuers left us. Those who were driving horses in a chase such as this have a great advantage over their pursuers. Since the pursuer must necessarily ride one horse all the time, but those that are driving can change as often as they please, taking a fresh horse every half hour even, if occasion requires. In case there is great urgency with a drove, a number of warriors are sent in advance to lead them, while others are whooping and yelling behind. Under this pressure, the animals generally get over the ground at a pretty good rate. On our arrival at home with 13 scalps, over 800 horses, and none of our party killed, it may be judged that we made such noise and shouting. The trip we had just accomplished was a severe one, especially for the wounded, and none but Indians could have lived through such torment. But they all finally recovered. They begged to be left upon the road, urging, that they must inevitably die, and it was a folly to impede our flight and jeopardize our lives. But I was determined, if possible, to get them in alive. For I had lost but one, the village would again have gone into mourning, and that I was desirous to avoid. End of chapter 24